It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the standby for places green room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of In the Green Room. I'm your host, Margie Zarcone, and I am joined today by seasoned director and playwright, Tom Rowan, to chat about his fresh new play, Burning Leaves. Thank you so much for joining me, Tom. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Of course, I'm excited too. So Burning Leaves, at the top, we quickly learn that the main character, Matt, is leaving his life as an actor in New York. Mm-hmm. And he has moved out to, is it Pittsfield? No, actually, in the play, we call it Pittsville, which is a made-up name I made up for a town in Illinois. It's <laughs> it sounds so... Yes, I was like, is, is it Illinois? Is it Ohio? But I, I know it's the Midwest. Sometimes people jump to Pittsfield because uh, theater people know about, it sounds familiar to theater people because of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Which That's is exactly what I was thinking. Where Shakespeare and Company is and some <laughs> summer theaters. Yeah. Or such snobs. That's exactly what I thought it was too. So Matt completely starts a new life out yeah. in the Midwest in, Pitt, in Pittsville. Mm-hmm. as a not drama teacher, but a theater teacher. Yes, he makes that distinction in his first monologue when he's introducing himself to the class on the first day. I loved that distinction. I also, I loved his introduction to the class, introducing himself. I really connected to that because he's a new teacher mm-hmm. and, you know, primarily was an actor before in New York, and this is a huge shift for him. I really connected to that <laughs> introducing yourself to the kids, and I'm like, I always just say my first name. Mm-hmm. And he very quickly backtracks and is like, Oh wait, no, that's not that's not appropriate. That's not professional. Um, and my name is Mr. Leland. <laughs> yeah, and that can be a thing because in high schools and theater departments, people are more apt to call the teacher by their first name than they would in in most other departments. I remember in our, uh, in my high school, our, our drama teacher was Jennifer. <laughs> I'm still friends with her actually. So that is kind of a decision that a drama teacher kind of makes fairly early, or maybe the kids end up making it for him at some point. I, I remember that in undergrad, Matt uh, was one of our professors and n- I mean, no one ever called him professor. It was always just Matt, but in high school, there's definitely a, a different dynamic so matt moves moves out to the midwest becomes a drama teacher and it seems like he's looking for just a a less complicated existence a a fresh start and he quickly realizes that that is not what he is in for in this town yeah because he he actually has a lot of guilt i mean he's dealing with a lot of pain from some horrible stuff that happened to him there. Um, so he's really trying to find a way to be a better person, give something back. He he didn't like what being an actor was doing to him um, in his life in New York. So he's he's trying to open a new leaf, as it were. What what informed the choice to send him to the Midwest? Well, I just um, I was thinking about a, a very conservative kind of closed community where he would feel like an outsider and where. Um, the, the gay student, Jesse, who, who he befriends, um, would also feel like he was not accepted and could not be open about himself. So there's definitely kind of a red state feeling of being in a place where they're far away from any big city. 
there was a time when I was doing a, a directing job when I did remember spending some time in central Illinois and just even driving there through some of the small towns and just the flatness of the plains and the, the long distances between towns. And some of them were very uh, economically challenged at this point based on changes that have happened, which is what the town in this play is also dealing with. Um, so I, I was kind of interested. Some of my other plays are set very much in New York City. So I wanted to explore a whole different kind of environment for this one. And Matt chooses to go to a much, much more conservative small town, which I yeah. find very interesting. Well, how he ended up exactly there isn't quite defined in the play. I mean, I, I think he says he got on a train out of town just heading west and didn't even know where he was going to end up. He just wanted to get out of New York. And and just it was almost like escaping. So I, I don't think he made a real conscious choice about where to end up, what the uh, circumstances are that made him end up in, in exactly that particular town. But yeah, he wanted uh, a total a total change of scenery and a whole different way of living his life. And I mean, I I can't think of a place where someone with his theatrical background could have more of an impact than yeah. than a sort of economically depressed community. And I mean, being a teacher is so, so incredibly important. It's such a make or break job. I There are teachers that discourage me from from pursuing things that maybe I would have ended up liking. They, and there are teachers that totally fostered my interest in the arts and it, teachers have such a powerful, powerful role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that the play really is a big part of what the play is about is meant to kind of explore that and the difference that he makes in Jesse's life in positive ways and possibly negative ways as well, because lots of unexpected things happen to them. I wanted to chat a little about the character of Jane, too. She interests me a lot because she is a direct foil to Matt, but she is also so captivated by him, which you don't typically see when there's a character that is so the opposite. Normally, there's there's kind of a you know tense dynamic between characters like that, but she is... She seems very enamored with him. Yeah, well, there definitely is a sexual attraction on her part. And I think her husband left five years ago. Uh, she hasn't found anybody else uh, to date that she's at all excited about in that very limited <laughs> community. So when this very attractive young man who's been an actor, who has this kind of exciting past, he's more sophisticated, smarter, a better conversationalist than a lot of the people that she's used to spending time with. So she kind of sees that as a possible... <laughs> You know, a possible relationship is something that even though she knows she's older than he is and her daughter's giving her a hard time about it, it starts out with her kind of being excited about what this new person could bring into her life. When you wrote this piece, did you imagine it being performed in a audio podcast style or is this no. meant to just go straight to the stage? It was certainly always meant for the stage. Um, I never have thought about doing it just as an audio thing at all until Grady uh, suggested that. Were there any changes that you had to make or surprises that popped up? You know, hardly any. And I think um, in a way, the director, Grady, 
really just taking the script as it was and using his own ingenuity to make the storytelling clear uh, in an audio only version by adding sound effects and um, some kind of the wind and blowing leaves effect to suggest uh, the changes of location and so forth. I mean, I didn't know how clear it was going to be because um, unlike some of my plays, which all take place on one realistic set, uh, this one moves around to a lot of different locations and sometimes it's written to be staged in such a way that it jumps from one to another without uh, a character even leaving the stage. The transitions are kind of seamless. Hmm. So I, I wondered in a way how clear all, all of that would be in the podcast version. But when I listened to it last night, I, last night was the first time I really listened all the way through to the finished version with the sound cues and everything added. And I was trying to put myself in the, um, imagine myself as a person who didn't know the play and try to listen to think how much are people going to be understanding or what are they going to be confused about? And I think if you, if people really listen hard, um, they, they can tell what's happening. There are enough clues, even if you're not sure when a scene starts where they are or exactly who's on stage. If you pay attention to the first few lines, you kind of figure it out. And I kind of liked that. Like it makes the audience a little more of an active participant when you have to, it makes them listen that hard and have to piece things together as opposed to just laying it all out in front of them, like if they were seeing it. So in a way, I thought that that made it interesting. There was only one place where we actually added a couple lines. I mean, Grady suggested that, but I certainly agreed. So yeah, so actually the scene where um, when Alicia comes in and sees the embrace uh, between Matt and Jesse and um, misinterprets it. And of course, it's still a little bit interesting because the audience still has to kind of imagine exactly what they were doing, as opposed to in a staged production, uh, the director and the actors could be very clear about how chaste it was or if it was threatening to become something a little bit more sensual or whatever the right word would be for that. So the audience can kind of bring their own interpretation to that, which I think is interesting as well. But we did have to add a, a, just a few words to make it clear as, as much as we could of what was happening between them. And Grady, could have asked, he could have asked me for more changes to really try to make it more clear, but I respected the fact that he, I, I really appreciated the fact that as the director, that he respected the play for what it was and thought it was, or, you know, let, let it be his job to make it work as a podcast rather than saying, let's adapt this for radio. So I was, I, I was quite pleased with how it turned out. Tom, I wanted to ask you about what, your interpretation of the relationship between Matt and Jesse is because it is certainly a very tender relationship mm -hmm. and they are kindred spirits in a lot of ways. Yes. Well, I, I think it starts out where Jesse finds himself suddenly in this class where he's starting to learn how to open up creatively and express himself emotionally, which he's been so hard for him to do based on the fact that he's been hiding um, in many ways who he is and feels he even has to hide that from his own father. But then the acting class and working with Matt on the monologues from Hamlet, especially, he really starts to learn to trust himself and believe in who he is and that it's okay to express himself. And then because Matt has become such an important person in his life in that way, and is really opening a whole door to some dreams for what his future could be that does lead to Jesse really falling in love with Matt and kind of comes to a head in the scene where they uh, are driving back from Chicago where they saw the play together and he asks him to touch his scar, the scar from when he had tried to, um, to commit suicide about a year earlier. Mm -hmm. 
and just the intimacy of that, which is um, something that Matt first is reluctant to do, but then he doesn't want to say no. And then Jesse writes in his acting journal, which is supposed to be a very personal journal that they keep in the class and then they turn into the teacher. So he uses that as his vehicle for really telling uh, Matt how he feels about him. And uh, ultimately it becomes mutual. I mean, Matt doesn't want to admit that even to himself, that he is also falling in love with this teenage boy who's his student. But by the end, there is a very strong emotional connection between the two of them. Matt uh, is very careful not to encourage it to become anything sexual or anything physical or even to acknowledge his own feelings to Jesse. But ultimately, it leads after they're falsely accused of having crossed a line. They both end up making big sacrifices for one another and, and sort of giving up. They each, by, by what they, the way they explain the situation to the powers that be, they each kind of throw away the possibility that either of them can remain in the town. So then when they end up together in the bus station, just coincidentally, <laughs> In the very last scene, when Matt is planning to head west and Jesse is planning his own move to New York to become an actor, um, having dropped out of school towards the end of his junior year in high school, then they've got a decision to make. I mean, are they going to, is either one of them going to swap the ticket and are they going to go someplace together or um, are they going to say goodbye and head off in opposite directions? What do you hope that they decide to do? Well, I think that's that's why the play is risky, right? That's the big question that I, I just want to put in front of the audience because it's, you know, you, in a way you see these two young men who really care about each other. Um, I mean, Jesse says we could look out for each other in New York. I mean, there's, and, and they're both so alone. I mean, they've both lost pretty much everything else in their lives. So I think some people watching that um, even if you don't even really want to admit it to yourself, you kind of almost want to see them get together. But a lot of people are going to say, no, I mean, this is a, a high school student who's not 17 years old yet, and a teacher who's 32, even though, you know, Matt no longer has his job and Jesse has dropped out of school, they no, they no longer technically are teacher and student. Most people are going to say that Matt does the right thing by just drawing the line and saying, I'm not going to take advantage of this. I'm not going to do this to this young boy. But I think, I, I, I guess I want, I'd like to hear audience members talk about that in a talk back and, and even disagree about it. I mean, it's, it's hard to admit if you really want to see them together because that flies in the face of a lot of taboos. But I think one, one, one statement the play is trying to make, I mean, obviously Grady set this up to be in June as one of your Pride Month podcasts. Mm -hmm. And so it makes a statement against homophobia. I mean, it's showing these two guys dealing with prejudice in a very small conservative town. And what I'm really, I think what I'm really saying is, you know, homophobia really is certain people trying to dictate who other people can love, right? And hopefully most of us, or probably almost anybody listening to this podcast or anybody who is interested in theater in New York or is going to you know, actually listen to a podcast that's being advertised as something for Pride Month is probably not going to be homophobic. Mm -hmm. But that whole question of what do you decide as a human being about who is allowed to love? And I mean, who, who somebody else is allowed to fall in love with? We all draw that line somewhere, 
don't we? Doesn't everybody draw that line somewhere? I mean, even though hopefully mo uh, most of us in this conversation are going to be past saying you can't be gay, somebody's going to draw the line someplace else. People draw it along ethnic lines, religious. A lot of, you know, otherwise sophisticated people are going to say, oh no, my son, my daughter can't marry outside the faith, depending on what faith there is. Do you draw the line there? Do you draw the line at age? I mean, who do you see walking down the street holding hands? And then you think, oh, you, as, as Alicia says, you, those two people shouldn't be together. Do you draw the line at coworkers? Do you draw the line at teacher student? What about people who are blood relatives? I mean, look back to, I've just been reading a lot of Jane Austen, for example, which is one of my favorite writers. And Jane Austen, you can't marry someone who's below your social class. But you can marry your, you can be encouraged to marry your first cousin. But, you know, in America today. Or someone, or someone who is a, a lot younger than you. Right. Who um, really can't make that decision. Right. But I mean, even at Pride and Prejudice, like Mr. Collins, who makes the proposal, the ridiculous um, clergyman character who makes the first proposal to Elizabeth is actually her first cousin. And a lot of people think that would be a perfectly fine match. Nowadays, that would be considered incest, right? So, and I'm, I'm not trying to draw the line any, in any one particular place in this play. I'm not saying that I think that Jesse and Matt should have been together and it's okay to break the student teacher trust. And I'm, and I'm not saying that they absolutely shouldn't be. I'm just trying to put that out there for the audience. I'm trying to say, where do you draw the line in terms of who you think it's okay for somebody else to be in love with or to act on their love for? And, and just to kind of point out the relativity of all those positions, right? Because all of us, every, every, I think everybody draws the line somewhere. It's just different for all of us. As a listener, it was very stressful to listen to with, with the two of them. Uh, uh -huh. It was filled with so much tension and I so badly didn't want Matt to breach that trust and cross that line because Jesse is a 16 year old and is a child and cannot make an informed decision about anything like that. And, and it is such a, whew, it's very heavy. So was there ever, how did you feel in the last scene as, as, an, as an audience member listening to it? What, what were you hoping would happen in the last scene? I was very much hoping that they would go in opposite directions. Okay, so you so you did feel that Matt made the right choice there. Absolutely, one one hundred percent. I was wor I was really worried that it was going to go the other way. And what did you think would have ultimately happened to them if they had, say, gone back to New York together? Oh, I mean, well, it, it would have been illegal. <laughs> <laughs> for them to be in a relationship because he's 16. Um, and I mean, ultimately that it, it would have ruined Jesse's life because even though he thinks that he's a grown up, he's, he's not. And that's what's hard about being a teenager is you, you think you have it all figured out and you think you are much more adult than you are. And he, he will now have, great memories of this teacher who drew the line with him, who recognized that he, almost like when people say that they have a crush on their psychologist, 
when it's someone that you open up to so deeply and it's, you know, the first time that that's happened, Mm -hmm. if the psychologist is to reciprocate, that is completely unethical. Mm -hmm. And it's the same situation here Mm -hmm. also with, you know, it it would also be abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, But now having gone their separate ways and Matt making the correct decision, Jesse will have, will look back in years and say, I had a really great teacher and he didn't breach that trust. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they went together, it would be a totally different situation. Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe ultimately if they went together, Matt would ultimately have been the one who got his heart broken too, as the older guy. I mean, if they were together for several years, once they were in New York and, and Matt is not no longer the only gay guy that Jesse has contact with. I mean, you know, there are all kinds of different ways that it could go bad. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, or maybe they could have been faithful and been happy together. But yes, there's, it would have been breaking a lot of, uh, breaking a lot of taboos. And, and it would have been, I mean, ultimately why it's not okay is it's an unfair power dynamic. One person, there was the teacher student relationship and the age gap. And it just creates a, it's like the, the biggest breach of trust. Mm-hmm. Even though in this case, Jesse is the one throughout, he's the one who's pushing for wanting them to be together. Exactly. So, exactly. So. It, but Jesse, I read recently that your brain isn't fully formed till it's 25. Huh. All right. Which is insane. Which is so insane. I'm like, Wow. We ask people to make such incredibly huge decisions at the age of 18 or 21, and your brain isn't even fully developed. Mm-hmm. But I think that I think that is a big part of what the play is trying to do. It's, it's trying to like throw those, I mean, throw that consideration of your values back into the audience's lap and make you really think about where do you, you know, how much of this is about taboos, how much of it is about really seeing the specifics of these two guys and what their relationship is because every person is different every relationship is unique and just kind of throwing it out there to to let the audience decide how they feel about it and what that says about their own values and their own preconceptions absolutely and i mean you could take this dynamic and place it in any number of relationships Tom, I would love to wrap up by asking you what brought you to Burning Leaves and the use of the Burning Leaves as a transition tool. The first time, I didn't recognize exactly what it was, but I thought something was on fire Mm -hmm. and it put me on edge. And then (laughs) I should have known immediately. And then I was like, oh my gosh, they are burning leaves. Well, so, you know, one thing that's funny about this play is that, you know, you, you introduced it as this brand fresh new play. And actually, I, I wrote it, I think, the first draft in about 2009. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not a new, I mean, it's it's a play that I've been trying to get out into the world for a long time, and it's had various readings and stuff. And so how I actually came up with that as the title, hmm, I mean, I think some of it has to do with having early on come up with that scene where 
Um, Matt is burning the leaves in the yard and thinking about that as moving on from one part of life mm-hmm. and into the next season and putting his past behind him, burning it and the freshness of the smell of that and then moving on into a new, healthier phase of his life. And also leaves can be pages in a book. You know what I mean? It's like burning something you don't want somebody to read. It's like the secrets of Jesse's journal or, you know, the forbidden books that Matt has been sharing with him. And and then also a leave is like when you take leave of someone, when you say goodbye. So the painfulness of parting, both their parting and the last scene when they're still burning for each other and the goodbye, the, the, the painful goodbye that happened in, in, in Matt's previous relationship. So I like the kind of multiple meanings of the title. And, and also though, the idea of using that sound effect for all the scene transitions, that was actually Graydon's idea for how to do scene transitions that would make the distinctions between the scenes when one starts and another stops clear in an audio version. That's not really specified in the script. In the script, you would hear the sound effect of burning leaves in that one scene and hopefully see some, you know, orange light flickering on their faces as they're watching it. Mm. Um, And I also think that the main sound effect, I think the actual burning that you hear in that scene that's a different sound. The way Grady described it to me, I think the the one that we hear so often at the beginnings of scenes is really supposed to be just kind of leaves blowing in the wind. And then mm. the actual crackling sound of the burning, you really only hear, I think, that one time. So, yeah, some people have criticized the title, other people like it. But I like the fact that, you know, even just kind of figuring out why that's the title gives the audience something else to talk about and think about. <laughs> I really like the interpretation that Jesse and Matt are both burning for each other and they are leaving in opposite directions. And also the fact that Matt continues going west. Yes, he doesn't. He, he's, he's not going to go back to the scene of the tragedy. Well, I really just wish the best for both of them. <laughs> yeah, because you'll hopefully be sure about both of them as people by the end. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. And if you haven't already, please listen to Burning Leaves, available on Standby for Places. You don't want to miss it. It's an incredible piece. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Without you, we wouldn't be able to continue bringing content to audiences all over the world. For exclusive interviews, behind-the-scenes content, and even more radio shows, consider becoming a patron today. All links are available at our website at standbyforplaces.com.